0: Right. Once again, it's so good to see you. Um, it's a delight to open the Word together today. We're going to Romans 12, as we have hinted the the I guess last week regarding the living sacrifice that Paul discusses in Romans 12. And uh, as you are on your way there, I want to remind you of uh, this, is, this is Paul's letter to the Roman church, a letter that contains so much good, rich theology, uh, so much good practical stuff. And really, that's where uh, chapter 12 takes us. Uh, the first majority of the book is largely about uh, God, about his work, about his saving work, about uh, the things that, that we regularly celebrate, uh, adoption, election, those kind of things that, that Paul expounds in wonderful detail. And then he doesn't he didn't leave us with just a good theology book, though. He turns that practical. In chapter 12, we begin to see what that looks like. And I hope you make note of this, how Paul talks about living, uh, being a living sacrifice. It calls us to... Life in the church. It begins here uh, with living sacrifice. It moves into the church as the body. It it expands even beyond that to people who are outsiders. As he starts to talk about uh, your life before uh, people who are outside the church. He, He talks about how your life ought to be in front of your enemies. How your life ought to be in regard to the government. Talks about how your life ought to ought to answer debtors. And it keeps going. It's, it's almost an expansion of the Christian life, but it begins with that living sacrifice, living within the life of the church. A living sacrifice, really, that worship, as we talked about last week, that living sacrifice produces participation in the body of Christ And that body of Christ is the ideal setting for fulfilling the one another's, which is where we are going today. In the passage, we're focusing on uh, verses 9 through 13. And I'll go ahead and tell you, in these verses, there are 13 verbs that carry an imperative uh, sense to them. They should be taken as imperatives. 13 verbs in five verses that we're going to cover today I want you to join me join me in reading Romans 12 beginning in verse 1 I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray once more. Father, give us the light on this text that only the spirit can give help us to understand it well that we may truly walk in the love that we see here we're thankful for that love that has been given to us in christ in whose name we pray amen what you see right here verses 9 through 13 it's like rapid fire isn't it these, these command after command almost, it's like a, a summary of of what ought to be happening within the life of the body, within the local church. Now, I agree with the commentators that have expounded on this saying that this is ultimately about love. So I don't want you to hear these lists and think like, oh great, yeah, we got like 13 things that I'm supposed to remember to do all these one another's, and if you want to put them all together, you go to James, you go to the other passages that we put out this week, you'll see an endless list. And you can drive yourself crazy trying to fulfill this one another and that one another and make sure you do this. Ultimately, and I would argue that Paul is saying right here throughout this passage, and also in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, every one of the one another's happens when we love. One another. so this is not a list to follow. It's not a checklist of one another's. This passage calls us to a renewal of love. Commentators do believe that it's patterned very much like First Corinthians 13. and do you remember what he talks about in First Corinthians 13? Uh, or just before chapter 13, chapter 12, is life in the body. So in Romans 12, we see the same pattern. He talks about life in the body. This is who you are in Christ. You function as a part of his body. It begins to look like as you love one another. So I hope you've seen the pattern. The, the way I've put this series together, it's on purpose, the first week was about the disciples' commitment. Are you really committed to Christ? Are you really committed to his people? Really, you can't have one without the other. If you're committed in that way, then the next step is, what does the local church life look like? And We went to Acts chapter 2 with the rhythms of discipleship. Teaching, fellowship, service, worship, evangelism. These are the routines, the rhythms that we engage in normally together and even, in many cases, as we scatter. And now this week, we want to dig even further into what the first church showed us in Acts chapter 2 and see how Paul expects local churches everywhere to work this out in terms of one another. This is about love nigran writes here one need only to make love the theme throughout i want to remind you love as paul says to the galatians fulfills the law love accomplishes all the one another's so i would argue that today we we need a better understanding of biblical love but that's that's too big a task honestly You know what I think you need in order to have a biblical understanding of love? Like a full biblical view of love? You need a lifetime of believing the gospel. How hard is it to love folks? I know you know. To maintain that love. It can't be unpacked this morning or any Sunday morning. It can only be unpacked in the lifetime of a gospel believer, a follower of Christ. And in the end, we will have the full view. As Paul says, we will know face-to-face love. The theme this morning, Christ-like love creates a lifestyle of obedience for one another's good. Christ-like love creates a lifestyle of obedience for one another's good. So, this morning, and it looks like we're going to continue this next week. Uh, I just don't think I've got enough time uh, to cover the third point, especially I want to get more detail into that. So, we're probably going to get half of it today. But I'm going to give you, between this week and next week, I'm going to give you four handles, okay? Handles relating love to the one another's handles relating love to all the one another so for the sake of our outline you can write on your outline love handles y'all like that love handles i'm gonna give you four love handles first off and this is for my dc talk fans i know there's probably two of you out there Love is a verb. Love is a verb. You see right there at the beginning, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I want to be very clear here. Love is not something that we feel. It's something that we do. It's an action Verb. This is so important. Spouses, parents, children, church members. When you get together, when you woke up this morning, when you had to get up essentially an hour earlier and get everybody ready, was it, was it like a wonderful, man, I just, I just feel like I love y'all so much. Is that what it was like? No, chances are you were probably yelling a little bit more today trying to get to church. But see, love is not something that is rooted in just a general feeling about someone or whatever emotions are attached to that. Love is about action. I remember when I was trying to evangelize uh, a person a long time ago sharing the gospel with them and they refused to believe and they attended church regularly. I remember having a discussion and they tried to say, well, love is just a series of signals that's being sent in your mind. And I said, no. I said, no. Love is the Lord Jesus hanging on a tree to save you. It's an action. How do you know he loves you? He died for you. I'm so glad God's love is not just him separating himself and saying, man, I just get warm and fuzzies for you guys. No. The sun died in your place. That is love. It is action. I want to give you a few ways that love acts, okay? You see them up there. We try to keep the slides simple because Uh, We're low on personnel today. (laughs) Uh, Love acts, first of all, with sincerity. So I read the word genuine. Love acts with sincerity. Love does not contain deceit or hypocrisy. It does not manipulate others. Calvin comments here, he says, It is difficult to express how ingenious almost all men are in counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. Counterfeit. Uh, A couple of years ago, I bought a uh, a, a little four-wheeler. It was a piece of junk. It's still kind of a piece of junk. Uh, A few hundred bucks, but it ran And I had to do some work on it to to make it work better. I'm no mechanic, but I can watch a YouTube video and do what I'm told to do. So in trying to repair the carburetor in this four-wheeler, I learned that it needed a new um, float valve needle. Okay, float valve needle. It's about half an inch long. It's tiny, so I went to the store, got the original equipment Yamaha float valve needle. It's about the size of a pen tip. Cost me about 25 bucks. Within the next week and more research, I discovered you can buy a knockoff Chinese made carburetor, the whole carburetor, for 35 bucks. So I could have gotten a brand new carburetor. It was a knockoff. Could have saved a lot of money if I needed a carburetor. But let me tell you, in cases like that, you can skimp, you can counterfeit. As long as it works, it's okay, right? We can't operate like that as a church. We can't operate like that as Christians. You can take the knockoff for your four-wheeler, but you can't counterfeit love for the saints. I want to ask you, how do you tell if what you have is a counterfeit love? I would just ask you a few questions. Is it selfish or sacrificial? Is it a love that runs when it gets offended or is it a love that seeks reconciliation? Is it a a love that gives up when things don't go as planned or does it stick around fighting against evil as he goes on to explain and fighting for good? Man, there's so much that we can say about this love that is sincere, this genuine love. I fully expect that if you genuinely love me, you will do whatever it takes to see me grow in Christ. And I'm expecting that from each of us. You're that concerned with one another that when bad stuff happens, you don't just jet. You don't just give up. You don't just avoid, you engage, you sincerely love. It is a love that acts with sincerity. But as I just mentioned, it's also a love that acts against evil. It's a love that acts against evil. Our society gives itself to increasing measures of evil in the name of love. And I would argue, Christian, you are being affected by this in ways that you can't measure. I am being affected by this in ways I can't measure. What I do know from this passage of Scripture is that if your mind is not being renewed according to the word of God, you will be conformed to the pattern of this world. It's a guarantee. Don't, don't believe the lie that you're sort of sitting back here neutral and determining, oh, yeah, this, this truth that, the, the Christian, that Christianity claims, am I going to evaluate that and believe that? Or am I going to accept what the world has? No, you are already in it. Your mind is already affected by it. You are not a, an innocent outsider trying to figure this out. You are a product of this world and everything in you because of the sin in the garden says yes to the lies of the world. It says yes to the evil of this world. You will be conformed to the pattern of this world even though the... The sales pitch is, you get to be who you want to be. If you are not being renewed according to the word of God, this will be you. Now, I want you all to hear me clearly, especially our younger folks. Hear me on this. You're in a season of life where the enemy will gladly feed you perversion after perversion relating to God's created order in the name of so-called love. Perversions of relationships, perversions of sexuality, we could put in there homosexuality, manhood, womanhood, all perverted by the world. Perversions of intimacy, perversions of the image of God, perversions even of friendship. I look in the world, I don't even see genuine friendship happening when I compare it to scripture. Perversions of affection, perversions of virtue, perversions of love. But these are only counterfeits. Among the saints, what is it going to look like to be loving against evil? Loving against evil. That means when we discover evil in ourselves, we repent. And when we discover any hint of evil in one another, we call one another to repentance. we see evil creeping in we give the warnings we caution one another we call to repentance and then a lot of people respond at that point and they say but that but that's uncomfortable right that's uncomfortable i don't know if i can i don't know if i can call my brother or sister my husband wife i don't know if i can call them to repentance my kids my best friend I don't know if I can call them to repentance. And I would ask you, are you good with a counterfeit love? Is that okay with you? We'll just keep it sort of shallow and just let's not touch the, the heavy duty stuff, right? I don't want that kind of love among the saints at all. I know Paul does not either. We need this kind of love that acts against evil. So it's a love with sincerity. It's a love that acts against evil. It's a love that acts for good. The statement there, hold fast to what is good. Some versions say cling right there. The verb is literally glued together. Paul actually uses it when he writes to the Corinthians to describe the marital union physically glued together. So our love acts in a way that is inseparable from what is good. My littlest one, uh since we started the whole like, you know, the you get your baby and you, you toss him up in the air a little bit. Yeah, y'all did that. I know uh Kyle, when he had Asher, was like balancing Asher on his hand and doing all kinds of upside down tricks well when i tried to start you know lightly tossing my daughter in the air it was like immediate death grip she was not going anywhere she was not going in the air and it was like this convulsive like she shook because she was hanging on so hard this is how we ought to be with what is good christians Cling to what is good. Now, what is good? Good is defined according to the character of God. So when we say statements like God is good, I want to be very clear. We're not taking God and saying, hey, does he measure up to what we consider good? No, that's backwards. When we say God is good, we're saying that God himself is good. The standard. He is what we measure goodness by. So when we, when we want to cling to what is good, when we want to call something good, what we're saying is that it meets God's standard. It falls in line with what God expects because he is the standard of what is good. So it's a love that acts Against evil. It's a love that acts for good, but it's also, as he says here, it's a love that acts in tenderness. A love that acts in tenderness. And I don't know that I need a real deep explanation here. Brotherly love. I mean, this is family language. It's family language. We often think and talk about how we would stand up for our own family members. It ought to be like that in the church. Not only that, this this has sort of an affection to it. It's tender. I'm sincerely thankful for the men that surround me here at church that say that they love me. Like I think about families that struggle just in basic ways like that. Like where love is not something that's discussed. It's not really shared with a great uh, measure of affection. And I think about how in the church, that's where we ought to get it. So brothers, when you tell me that you love me, it means so much to me. It's not lost on me, but I would extend it. I know we have uh, we have some members that... Uh, have used the word like adopted uh, grandchildren to describe me to describe my family to describe others in the church they refer to me as as, as if like i 'm their own kid you don 't realize how much that means to me you don 't realize that when we we 're on the phone sometime during the week or whenever we get to talk on the phone there are several of our Uh, grandparents, our adopted grandparents within the church that when we finish the phone call, they say love you every time. I'm, I'm blown away. This is not something that the world does, but the church should do. Brotherly love, brotherly affection. These things are not lost on me. I hope that you receive that same benefit. It is a love that acts in tenderness, and then it is a love that acts without limit. It's a love that acts without limit. That statement there, outdo one another in showing honor. I don't want you to hear that or read that and automatically think competition. Like we're supposed to be one-upping one another I want you to read that and think discipleship. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is, I would say, the essence of discipleship. I am so concerned about you that I want to esteem you and honor you. I want to serve you. Philippians 2.3, count others more significant than yourselves. That's very clear. Count others more significant than yourselves. And I would argue there's not a better measurement for a disciple's growth than their growing concern for others and their diminishing concern for themselves. Isn't this the pattern of Christ? And isn't that exactly what Paul says in Philippians 2 after he makes this statement? Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who abandoned everything that he had in terms of his status and privilege and became a human being put on mortal flesh to die. The sinless one dies for sinners out of concern for them, out of love for them. So I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. If that's how we measure a a growing disciple, if you will, less concern for self, more concern for others, then you may think, okay, well, let me get my list. And tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and get my one another list and I'm going to begin checking them off because I want to grow as a disciple. But that's not how it works in the Christian faith. Every other belief system, every other religion in the world will tell you what you need to do in order to achieve your whatever. In the gospel, the solution is to look to Jesus. So you're not going to wake up tomorrow and grow by determining to be more selfless. You're going to grow tomorrow by waking up and looking to Christ. This is where we must not forget the gospel. We must not forget the gospel. When we get to basic obedience of the Christian life, it's through the gospel. It's Christ living in me that I'm able to accomplish these things and you too. See, the gospel is the evidence of God's genuine love for us in Christ, a love that reveals evil flowing from the depths of our hearts and shows us what is good. It's a tender love that ministers to us in our time of need. It's a father's love, a perfect father to his children. It's a sinless older brother. Loving his little siblings. The gospel shows us the unlimited love of God. That the infinite and eternal son would wrap himself in flesh. Becoming just like us in all respects. In order to bear our sin and shame and save us while we were completely undeserving. You want to love one another well? Look to Jesus. Love is a verb. Love is a verb. Second handle. And this will be our conclusion today. Love fuels service. Love fuels service. We continue in the passage. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. There's two characteristics here that are working together. Zeal and fervor. So we may say zealous service and fervent. Service. <clears throat> I would begin, I think, on this point by saying, if you rewind in chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and review how the Spirit has gifted you for service among the saints, you'll be at a good starting place. Your acts of love will often be tied to your gifts. So if you don't know how you've been gifted to serve within the body of Christ... Again, this is not titled, uh, recognized, uh, paid, any of that. This is just you being who God called you to be as a member of the body of Christ. Your acts of love will be tied to that most often. See, we have different gifts for the common good, just like the body has different parts, yet it is one body, and it works together for one common goal. So no matter how, how you serve others, I would say that this service must be zealous service. It must be fervent service. Service fueled by love engages the soul of a person. The deepest parts of who we are are operable in our service when it is fueled by love. The New American Commentary says, Believers are to be aglow with the Spirit. And that makes me think, what, what's, the, what's the first in the list of the fruit of the spirit, love? But here's where zeal is tough. When you get to the, the real test of zeal or fervor, is your service dull and boring? Are you fulfilling the one another's out of a drudgery? Those of you who have been driving in your car at some point in your life that have run out of gas, you know that feeling that comes over you when you know, hey, I'm running out of gas. I remember specifically uh, a few years ago, I had borrowed, I had borrowed uh, Ray and Nelda's truck. I'm still embarrassed about this. Borrowed Ray and Nelda's truck and pulled a trailer I was going to pick something up, and um, I get about an hour and 20 minutes away from this area, and I was driving their truck, and I had noticed that the needle on the the fuel gauge, it hadn't really moved much. Come to find out, the needle was broken. It kind of stops moving once it gets down to about a quarter tank. So it hadn't been moving, and then I noticed, hey, something's not right. This thing's just not, not wanting to keep on running. So I'm going down 78, probably about 70 miles an hour, and the thing just quits on me, and I coast to the side of the road. Thankfully, Ray and Nelda were uh, available. They went and got some gas. They drove over an hour to put fuel in their truck that I had borrowed. So I was doubly embarrassed by this occasion. But I remember... I remember sitting there thinking, like, man, because I've never run out of gas before. This first time it had happened to me. You feel completely helpless. It's not going to run. You've got a wonderful truck here, a great motor, and it has to have fuel to run. Without fuel, that truck was going to get me nowhere. But I would tell you, in your life, in your service to others... Love is going to have you firing on all cylinders to keep going with the illustration. Your love enables that service. It fuels that service. It fuels Christ-likeness in your service. So when your zeal is gone, that means your love tank, if you will, is empty. And when that thing's empty... You know what tank you turn to? The self-tank, which is always full. You run out of love, you're going to start thinking, what about me? I don't enjoy this service. I don't enjoy doing this for these brothers and sisters. When you lose your love, your service falls flat. So the question is, how do you recover that love, I think, I think Revelation 2 gives us a hint. It's not simply just conjuring up, hey, I, I love these people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to serving them joyfully, thankfully. In Revelation 2, the Lord writes to the church and basically brings an accusation. Revelation 2, to the angel, the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. That all sounds like love, doesn't it? It all sounds like love. I mean, it's service. And it, and it aligns with what we've just read in Romans 12. But then he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. I think the recovery of love to fuel our service has to come from returning to the source of our love, the Lord Jesus himself. God being rich in mercy showed us a great love in giving us Christ. And because of that gracious act of love, we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. If we can return to the love that was poured out at Calvary, we can serve until he comes again joyfully, happily. Sometimes, Even in the midst of pain, we'll be able to serve with great joy. He turns to some of these things in the text of Romans 12. And that's where we're going to return this next week. So for now, I want to ask you this morning, as we have discussed the gospel, maybe you don't understand or maybe you're understanding for the first time that believing on Jesus is not not like a list of things to do. But it's, it's a life that produces things that we can't produce. That if we're in Christ, he actually lives through us. Maybe if that's you this morning, you would uh, repent. Repent of sin, believe on Jesus, be saved. And while you look to him, he will produce the kinds of things he desires. But saints, I would ask you, believers, I would ask you, maybe where along the way have you lost a little bit of this love that we've discussed today? And this morning, how are you going to recover it? We must go back to the gospel. It's the gospel that redeems us, that shows us God's love. He loved us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the foundation of our love. Let's respond this morning to that love.